Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat where you are. That song brings us into this series so well because it's just foundational to what we're up to over the next weeks and months here in this place. The series is called Help, and, and the idea being we want to address the biggest, strongest, scariest, most problematic parts of our lives. We want to bring those to a good and loving God who is faithful to His promises, and we want to be able to do so in such a way where the real you can meet the real God and you find what it is you really need. There's a couple things I'm going to say over and over and over through this series. And number one is this, it's okay for you to not be okay. This is a church that is built on the gospel of Jesus Christ dying so we could live. We are saturated in grace. It is the center of what we do. So it is okay for you to be here, to be showing up, to call this your church, even if you feel like your life is still in fact a mess. But the other thing I want to continue to say as well is it's not okay for you to stay not okay. And what I mean is God's love is too big. His purposes for you are too strong for you to sit and settle for a life that is less than what he made you for. And so we are equal parts grace and truth in this series. And we're bringing, we're tackling and taking on big life issues that keep us from experiencing everything God made us for. So last week it was fear. Next week we have a special guest coming. And I'm so excited. Uh, Pastor Tim Scott, formerly of Grace Church, you know, preaches up in La Jolla is coming. He just wrote and published this amazing book on anxiety and depression. He has an incredible story uh, from his own background of dealing with those things and the way he was impacted by a story of depression, uh, but then also how he found God's grace through it all. And so uh, I'm so pumped. He's going to be here next week tackling anxiety and depression. Uh, we're going to be pushing it out online. I'm just telling you, you got somebody in your life that's struggling, I hope you can get them here for that because uh, I know firsthand uh, there is nothing, there is nothing that overcomes anxiety and depression like a real encounter with the grace of Christ Jesus. And so we're going there next week. It's coming. It's going to be cool. We're tackling money this week. Uh, trust me, no one's going to ask you for money. There's not going to be somebody standing at the door shaking you down as you leave. We're just going to talk about how the power of God and His Word can help us get our financial lives in order. I'm going to pray before we do it. I'll tell you a story about my life and we'll dive in from there. Let's pray together. God, Father, there is no one like you. I pray that it is you here teaching us, with us, guiding us. I want your Holy Spirit to own the moment and nothing less than that. So we just ask that you would move powerfully as we open up your word together, that you would grow us to be more like Christ and that you would transform lives and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. We have the same Christmas routine at my house and for my family that we've had over the last few years. Britt and I kind of established the pattern and then we've welcomed the kids into it because, hey, they were born into our lives. We weren't born into theirs. And so you want Christmas at our house, you got to get with the program. And so we have the whole routine just like you guys do. First it's stockings and then it's presents and then it's cinnamon rolls and bacon and orange juice till you can barely breathe anymore. And then you kind of rally 
and, and then the rest of the day is just NBA basketball, Christmas movies, a crock pot of those little hot dogs with the barbecue sauce around them, the thing of shrimp cocktail from Costco. It's appetizers all day, okay? Applebee's has nothing on the almond house on Christmas day. And so uh, we did this and this is some years ago and we had this beautiful Christmas and like it was just the Christmas. I mean, we had our coffee cups. Britt and I are like cheersing. Like we just nailed it. The kids got what they want, but not too much. And there was stuff for everybody to do. And she had gotten me this little remote control helicopter. And so you got to have a toy, okay? No matter how old you are, you need a toy on Christmas. And so I'm seeing if I can land the helicopter on the little shelf and bring it back down and like do the obstacle. I mean, it was great. It was just Christmas. It was wonderful, you guys. And so it was all going great until the next day, okay, the next morning, on the 26th, I go, hey, have you checked our banking recently? And she goes, uh, no, I thought you were keeping an eye on our banking. And I said, I, I thought you were keeping an eye on our banking. And, and so we go, you know what, like, we don't get paid till the, you know, first of the next month. Like, let's make sure we got our ducks in a row so everything's good. And I am not going to give you numbers on this one because it's a little too personal. But I will say, on the 26th, within 24 hours of toast and mugs and helicopters and great presents and all this stuff, we check our online banking together and the Christmas spirit comes to a screeching halt. And some of you are like looking at me like, oh yeah, I've been there. I bet you had to stick it out. And get... No, I'm telling you, it came to a screeching halt. And then in an instant, again, not even 24 hours after presents and bacon and helicopters and all this stuff, we're arguing with one another, we're blaming each other, we're pointing fingers at one another, and the worst part of it, this beautiful Christmas within 24 hours gets completely overshadowed by our lack of financial planning. And here's a crazy thing. This is the first time in my life I had money management issues. Come on, now look, I've had money issues like most of my life. I've been broke most of my life, okay? So I know broke, okay? Anybody know broke? Remember broke? Like, I had, I've been same can of soup for lunch every week broke. I've been like, let's see how many, I've been put some water in the shampoo to mix that thing up with the end of the shampoo broke. I've been wait to start your car broke. Anybody been wait to start your car? Wait, thank you. There's like three of us. Somebody just saying, if you don't know, bless your heart, okay, way to start your car broke is when your car's not doing so good and you start it up and it doesn't make the same noise as everybody else's car when they start their cars up. And so it's like, hey, we're leaving church. Who wants to go to Chili's? Yeah, let's go to Chili's. And you wait till they leave the parking lot because when you start yours up, it's going, Bee! like it sounds like a dial-up modem from 1992 when you start your car. Okay, I've been that broke. But here was the crazy part of this Christmas and the 26th. We weren't broke anymore. It was the first time in my life I had financial issues that were not, in fact, not enough money problems. They were, in fact, you're not paying attention to your money and managing it well problems. And I've had both. And this may be shocking or hard for some of you to believe if you're still in the broke stage of your life. More money 
does not fix bad habits. More of something you are managing poorly will not change your life. Can I tell you something? Again, if you're in your broke stage, I love you. I've been there. There is hope in Jesus' name. But can I tell you something? The poor management problems hit our family harder than the broke problems. The broke problems, we are in this together, okay? Life is survival. We are a united front. We're trying to make it. We're trying to be okay. We're trying to get to the next stage in our life. When we have money management issues, we have no one to blame but ourselves. We turn on one another. We're saying, hey, I'm working for this and you just blew it. Well, I'm working too and you blew that. And all of a sudden, what I thought, these two kids, the broke kids, if they saw our paychecks that year of that Christmas, they'd have slapped us in the mouse because we were doing okay but we had squandered what we had and we had ended up no different than we were about 15 years prior to that and so I learned two things in that time number one money problems suck right you argue you live in fear you don't know what's coming next And it can mess up relationships, too. And here's the other thing I learned. More money doesn't fix bad habits. And so I want to share a few things with you today. Now listen, I understand when a pastor at a church stands up on the stage and goes, let me tell you what the Bible has to say about money. All kinds of red flags go up in the room. I, I get, hey, I even think that's reasonable. And probably for some of you, it's rightfully so. So here's what I'm going to do. Based on my experience in life, I am going to teach my children about money. My kids are going to learn financial literacy because the schools aren't teaching it. My kids are going to learn how to be content with much and with little because they're going to experience both of those things in their life. And they're going to learn how to grow wealth over time. And so one day, I promise you, I am writing a book one day called 10 Things I Will Teach My Kids About Money. Maybe it gets published. Maybe they just hand it down from generation to generation. And, and, and Almond is the new Rockefeller when we're all dead and gone, okay? That might happen too. But here's what I'm doing, okay? These are the first four things I know that I will teach my children about money based on what I've come to learn so far and what I see in the Bible. So these are my first four. Number one is simply this. Debt is a form of slavery no matter what anyone tells you. Debt is a form of slavery no matter what anyone tells you. If you could go to the next one for me, please. It comes from this proverb. The rich rule, this is in our Bibles, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. I don't like borrowing money. Uh, As a matter of fact, I don't like borrowing money. This is kind of unrelated. I don't like gambling money, okay? I'm not a gambler. Some of you guys, okay, and and, and let me me jump back, okay? Hang on, let me, uh, I'm rewinding on this before I miss somebody. Hey, it does not say debt's a sin, by the way. 
Okay, so it doesn't say that uh, if you have student loans, car loan, mortgage, and all that stuff, you're living in sin and God's wrath is coming for you. But it just said, hey, just know what you're doing here. Uh, the borrower is always slave to the lender. Now, uh, I think the same thing about gambling casinos and all that stuff. Like, if, if you're gambling and you, you know, you're not addicted to it and you're not spending more than you can afford to lose and you do it in moderation, I think it's okay to, like, I'm sure that's under the grace of God as well. Let me tell you why I don't gamble. Uh, I went to a casino one time, and this is what you see when you walk in the casino. Uh, this was in Vegas. This is actually in Connecticut. And it is like this huge, beautiful building. Like this blows like the Vegas casinos out of the water. I didn't expect to see that because we we're in Connecticut for crying out loud. And I was like, what do you got on Vegas? You walk into this place and this is far more breathtaking in real life than this little mock-up does. There's this huge glass sculpture in the middle of it. And then behind there, see those rocks on the back wall? That is a four-story waterfall just all day, all night water pouring down the thing in the casino you can go behind the waterfall and they have this restaurant back there and it feels like a grotto and, and they got all these beautiful you know like when they put Harley Davidson's in the glass case and cars on display and then there's these two huge towers with literally thousands of different rooms and ornate pools and all of this stuff the casino is amazing and there's literally this view from this balcony like when you first walk in where they designed it so you just walk in and have your mind blown by this thing and I'll tell you why I don't like gambling. I was here, I was looking at this, and if you look down each hallway, you can see like just the gaming floors, and I mean, they're just thousands of machines and bleep, 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 you know, casino sounds and the whole thing. And they got dealers and the cards and the stuff going on. And, and you look down this way and there's just hundreds of people just on the floor gambling. And the hotel paid some of these people to stay there. And, and then you look this way and there's more gaming floors. And like, there's the high rollers area and more glass sculptures and people gaming. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people sitting at the tables and, and gambling and all this stuff. And then I was looking at all this and I was just blown away by it. And I was like, man, I wonder where they got the money to build this big, beautiful place. And the answer is, well, duh, from all the people sitting there gambling. Casinos look nice because gambling is a winning proposition for the house, not the gambler. But can I tell you guys something? Do you know who else has big, beautiful buildings? Do you know why you can go to any major U.S. city and the biggest building in town is the one that's this bank on the front, America, you know, whatever, Wells Fargo, Chase, whoever you're banking with. Have you ever stopped to think for a second about why the banks have the nicest buildings in any single major U.S. city? Can I tell you something? It's not because they want you to have a nice savings and checking account. It's because that they have figured out keeping you in debt is one of the most profitable industries in the world. My cousin worked for Visa. She got all the way up to the top of one of those buildings. And she is not even a person of faith. And she quit Visa. I talked to her about it. I said, why'd you leave? You're probably making bazillions of dollars. She goes, yeah. But when I really came to understand how we were making those bazillions of dollars, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror anymore. The most profitable industry in this country is one that thrives on keeping people in debt. Here's the average American statistics. 
uh, average car payment, $4.99 a month, average uh, student loan debt balance, $32.5, average credit card is uh, rolling credit card debt, that's the amount you're paying interest on each month, $6,271. Uh, 22 million Americans have personal loans to the tune of $7,800 uh, on balance. And so, uh, as you guys know, that's not free money. What you're paying is interest on the money you owe, and so you are paying for the privilege of being in debt. You go, well, what's that look like? Well, this is the average American in a year. If you just add up how many interest payments and how much the average person is paying in interest alone, every single year, about $4,201.72 of your cents are going just to pay interest payments and this is why this is why most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck this is why so many of us get to the end of the month and you feel like you're strapped and struggling this is where the arguments are coming from this is where the stuff is coming from there is a whole industry out there designed to keep you paying this debt so they can keep having the biggest buildings and the biggest salaries in town. Now, I want you to think on this. There are people working jobs they don't like, doing things they don't want to do, living in fear that somebody's going to come after them if something bad happens in their life. Can I, let's, let's, let's personalize it. I want you to think about this. Let's personalize this. What if I was in your life and I forced you to work a job you don't like. For money that you don't get to keep, for items that are, you don't get to hang on to, and you live in fear, one day I'm going to come after you and take everything from you. Can I tell you something? You are enslaved to me at that point. And that's why number one thing I'm teaching my kids is debt is a form of slavery no matter what anyone tells you. Now, let me address something. Some of you have been arguing with me in your head over the last 10 minutes. And right now you're winning the argument. God bless you, okay? I get it. You're like, I've got this uncle and he taught me about leveraging debt and you can buy assets with debt and what about the guy on TikTok and he told us it's easier than ever now and you rent an RV camper and you pay a monthly payment on the camper and then, and then you rent out the camper every month and if the rent of the camper, see, I know what you're doing, okay? I get it, all right? And then it comes out. Here's what I would tell you, okay? Here's what I tell you. Are there instances where people leverage debt to make money? Yes. 99% of us would do well to run from debt like it is the devil itself. Why? Because the people who are really out there leveraging debt for good money make 10 times more money than you and I. They only do so in hyper-specific situations that have been completely thought through and they're doing it with money they can afford to lose. So are there instances? Yes. For most of us, the risk associated with those instances is way more than you should ever consider. But Matt, I started listening to this podcast and the guy shows you how to do it and I was actually thinking about doing it this week. Okay, God bless you. I love you. This is what I'm teaching my children about money. Number two, your greatest weapon to transform your financial world 
is contentment. Your greatest weapon to transform all your money issues, your household income, savings debt, all this stuff, your greatest weapon, which is at your disposal, is contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we will take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be what? Content with that. Your greatest weapon in your financial fight is your contentment. It's free. We can all have the e an equal amount of it, and it can change everything for you. Uh, go to the next one for me. This number is staggering. It's $92.5 billion. If you stacked up 92.5 billion pennies, they would go to the moon and back like countless times. $92.5 billion are spent in our country alone on marketing. There are people out there like, like, like little ones that you see pop up on your Instagram feed, big ones that are going to be on the Super Bowl commercials, all kinds of stuff. They're together spending $92.5 billion on American marketing. And every ad you will ever see uses the same fundamental principle. They start with who you are now. They show you the you they want to be. And what do they say is going to take you from the you you are now to the you you want to be what? Buying this thing. Oh my gosh, you don't want to be this guy who has no hair, do you? No, you want to be that guy with like the Tom Selleck mustache and all that stuff. Here's our product, it'll get you there. You don't want to be the girl with the face and the complexion that's not as good as it could be, do you? No, you don't want to be her. Well, guess what? Good news. There's this thing. You can have it and it will make you the you you want to be. Buy our beer. It'll make you have fun. Buy our thing. It'll make you drive faster. There's a whole nine I think we can't even get our heads around that moment. $92.5 billion are being spent a year to reinforce that message for you. And why is it working? Come on, right? Like, hey, who here thinks ads have everything you're looking for? Most of us despise ads, but it's working. Why? One, through the sheer repetition and volume. And then two, because people don't know what actually makes them happy. You know what really makes you happy? It's four chemicals. There's serotonin. It gets released in your brain through sleep, sunshine, exercise, and conversation. You know what makes you happy? Oxytocin. It gets released in your body through connecting with others and physical touch. Endorphins through laughing, running, hard work, and eating. Dopamine through completing a task, prayer, music, and sex. So there you go. Get married, have sex, save money, end a sermon. We're done, right? But for real. You want to know the interesting thing about these four chemicals? There's not a single one of them released and sustained in your body through buying something. This is what makes you happy. And I was thinking about this because um, maybe a couple months ago, I told this story about Britt and I, and it was back when we were broke us. And one summer, I was saving for an engagement ring. I really wanted to get engaged. I was a church intern, and I worked at a gym slash tanning studio. And so I don't know what you know about church interns and guys who clean tanning beds for a living, but they ain't making a lot of money, okay? And so I knew I, I can't really see making any more money right now. I don't see that happening. Uh, so I got to cut my expenses. And so one summer, uh, I, I went to the store 
store and, and I bought a Frisbee and it was this bright yellow Frisbee and I've told you the whole story before and it was this beautiful little time in our lives and we just would go and say, hey, you wanna go out to eat? No, you guys go out to eat, we're gonna play Frisbee. Hey, uh, should we go buy this? No, we can't buy that right now, we're gonna play Frisbee. And so this whole spring and summer, we went out and we played Frisbee with one another and like the weirdest thing happened at the end of the summer. Uh, we were the happiest we'd ever been. I'm not kidding, for that like four month window of our life, it was probably the least I've ever spent in four months, yet the happiest I was. And when I look at these, it makes perfect sense. We were getting sunshine, exercise, conversation. We were connecting. We were laughing. We were outside. And we were completing a task. And so much of what actually would make us happy was happening in that moment. Now guys, when you get this, when you can learn to be content, and when you can say no to, to all the extras that they're trying to throw on you, you know what you get? Margin. You know what you get when you can go three weeks without going to a restaurant? Savings. You know what you could do with the savings? Invest them, and that will trade. We'll talk about that in a minute. But let me show you this quick example. Go to the graphic for me. Okay, you could go to Starbucks three times a week, $15 a week, and at the end of the year, you've spent $780 on coffee. Or you could get the AeroPress. You could buy your own setup, the little teapot with the funny nozzle on it and the little heater that weighs the beans and stuff for you, and you could just make your coffee at home, enjoy it just as much. You'd be completing a task. You'd be learning mastery. You'd be doing all kinds of things that make you actually happier you'd still have coffee, and at the end of the year, you would spend $54. You could get Amazon if you get uh, Audible and, and Kindle Unlimited, that's $300. Uh, call me old-fashioned, or you could go to the library, get a library card, and they give you your books for free. Here's a crazy thing you don't know about your library. They do free audiobooks too now. They get it all figured out, system. You can get audiobooks from like all across the country. They got a network of libraries. All the stuff you get on Audible, you can get with a library card for free. That just, that was worth your trip to church. Somebody was like, oh my gosh, like, uh, you, could, you could do the December to remember and lease a new Lexus every year because you like the smell of it inside. Or I don't know, you buy an old Jeep. And instead of having that $499 car payment uh, over 60 months like so many people do, if you put that in this very, 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 very humble account called a Roth IRA, which is extremely safe, uh, that same 10 years, those $499 or $499 a month would get you $90,000 and some change. Contentment. When you grow content, you have margin. You take the margin. There's lots of things you can do to invest it and you watch your world change. Number three thing I'm teaching my kids about money. There's only one more after this, so sit tight, we're gonna get through it, okay? Great wealth is built a little at a time. Run from anyone who tries to convince you otherwise. Like, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, all, all the gloves are off, okay? I grew up old school, okay? Like, I was raised, but like, we were like, we came from the coal mines. They, they came from Europe, moved into the coal mines, came to Illinois, trying to fight for something better. And one of the first things every last person in my family taught me is if it sounds too good to be true, guess what? It's too good to be true. And, and this is it. This is the number one. This, if it's not getting into the debt and over your head, this is the number one or the next place 
place where people get off track. Great wealth is built a little at a time. Run from anyone who tells you otherwise. Uh, Dave Ramsey, this uh, financial thinker, podcaster, uh, radio personality who created the Financial Peace University course, which I highly recommend you sign up for. And don't forget that today is your last day to sign up for that course. If you're interested in changing your whole financial world, that's just a side piece. He did this big study on millionaires. So his organization did actually the largest study of millionaires that has ever been done in the history of the world. And they found two things about millionaires that shocked everybody. Number one, the average millionaire did not receive any significant inheritance. So you go, oh, they're just uh, millionaires because their parents gave them everything. And no, the average million, I think it was like 97% of millionaires never got an inheritance. The average age at which these people became millionaires, 57 years old. It takes a lifetime. Run from anyone who tries to tell you otherwise. That guy in the office, back in 2019, who told you, no, 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 you gotta get in. It's called cryptocurrency. You gotta empty the, do you know what the phrase empty the clip means? It is the most shocking, empty the clip. This is what guys did in 2019. Empty the clip means I was saving and doing all these things that were taking way too long. My IRA, my 403B, my all this stuff. They emptied the clip, took it, dropped it in Ethereum in hopes that this would get them there faster. Okay. Have you noticed you haven't heard anything from that guy in your office recently? Do, do me a favor this week. Do me a favor this week. Go ask him how Ethereum... Don't do that. <laughs> it ain't going great. Run from anyone who tells you about their get-rich-quick scheme. Proverbs 13.11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money, little by little, makes it grow. Let me read that part again. Whoever gathers money, little by little, makes it grow. What would happen if you decided today, little by little? You know what our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament did so much better than we do today? They always thought about themselves in the context of three generations before them and three generations after them. So, so if you said to one of our brothers and sisters who was living life under Yahweh in the Old Testament, you go, well, you're not going to get there quick enough. Like, by the end of your life, you might have, it might be like a million too, but you'll be too old to enjoy it. Do you know what they would say to you? They'd say, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for my children. And I'm doing this for their children. And yeah, it might be a million too when I die. But when my great-grandson can literally buy the college he wants to send his children to, our life's going to be different. You gather little by little and it make it grow. There's this thing called compound interest. Um, and this might be review for some of you. It's okay. Let me tell you about compound interest. All right. Compound interest is in, instead of like taking out a loan and like having to pay money to have money, you find an account. And like this is what we actually teach in Financial Peace. There's all these different accounts. They're very safe. They're very reliable. And um, I got ones today. For the sake of the illustration, let's just imagine I got hundreds. And <laughs> what you do is, is 
my wife just gave me a glare for having a pocket full of ones. It's not what you think. Um, <laughs> we're all thinking it. Um, so you put your money in the bank, and so it makes something like 10% interest. That sounds very, very, very humble. Um, so if I put $100 in the bank, it sits there for a year, or in this investment account, sits there for a year, and at the end of that year, it's $110. I leave it there, now my $110 makes 10%. I leave that there, that makes another 10%. I leave that there, that makes a another 10%. And at first it looks like nothing's happening, but as time goes on, the power of compound interest is unbelievable. Uh, let's do this one. This is again review for a lot of you, but that penny a day doubling thing. Okay, so like if I said, would you rather have a million dollars now or a penny a day doubling for 30 days? So you can have a million dollars flat or we can have a penny that compounds. So day one, uh, let's say, let's say, um, you know, you guys on this half of the room, uh, you take the million dollars, you're like, there's no sure things in this life. And you guys on this half of the room, you're like, give me the penny doubling. So you guys are out and you're buying the Mercedes that you always wanted and the stuff and, and, and quitting your job and telling them to shove it and all that business and it's great, okay? You do that with your million. These guys are three days in and it's only accumulated four cents. They're four days in, it's turned to eight cents. They're five days in, it's turned to 16 cents. Watch what happens next though. Day 15, they're at $163. Uh, that's actually, it's actually beyond that. That one, that one we had a glitch. Don't worry about the day 15, okay? Uh, day 20, go back. Uh, no, go forward to my day 25. There we go. Day 25, $167,000. Day 28, $1,342,000. Day 30, we have $5,000,000. 300,000 and some change, okay? From a penny a day doubling. Now, let's talk about what this looks like in real money. Go to the next one for me. You could take $35 a week from age 20 to age 60, and it becomes $1,700. Um, take that car payment thing. And I know people in this town, we, we love our cars, okay? So I'm not coming after your car, but I just want you to think about this, okay? Go to the next one for me. Um, you take that $499 car payment, that sounds a lot like $500. You do it from age 30 to age 70, and it becomes $5.6 million. That's at a very humble market average interest rate. That could be you. You start with contentment. Your contentment creates margin. That margin, you take that money and you put it to work for you. Um, I'm gonna teach my kids this, number four, last one, okay? We are managers of the money we have, not owners. So there's 2,500 passages in the Bible about money, wealth, things, having, investing, all that stuff, 2,500 of them. If you go to all of the Jesus passages about money, they all communicate one major theme. The money does not belong to you. It's been entrusted to you. It's God's money and you get to manage it with your time here on earth. Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Okay, can we just go over those? Uh, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it is the Lord's, and the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. It's all God's. 
Every penny you have, the car you drive, the clothes on your back have been entrusted to you by your heavenly Father. Now here's the deal. This is true, okay? The Bible is truth, whether you're tuned into the truth or not. So like you have a radio in your car, you know, like you, you go. And so the radio stations are always there, right? Sometimes you're just not tuned into it. So like whatever station you listen to, if the radio is off a side or off the other side, it sounds like static. But when you get tuned into it, you're not making that radio station exist. It was there. You just dialed into it. This passage in scripture works the same exact way. It's always true. Some people are just not dialed into it. You can tell when people haven't tuned into Psalm 24-1 because they say things like, well, I work hard for what I have and I'm going to enjoy it with my time and because we're not doing anything wrong and hurting anybody, so we need to spend what we got and live it up what we can. I go, yeah. But what do you do for a living? Well, I'm an engineer. What type? Electrical. Got it. Did you go to school? Yeah, walk to class every day. Okay, where'd you get the feet that walked you to class every day? And who gave you the IQ that helped you pass that entrance exam? And while you were in school, who gave you the health to stay in school and not have to drop out through a medical incident? And when you go to work, do you create the raw materials that make up the chair you sit in and those fancy tools you use? And when you're working through probabilities and possibilities that you've come to understand based on laws that determine how electricity works, did you make the laws that govern electricity or, or did somebody else do that? And, and tomorrow you're just going to go into work and you're going to count on the fact that those same laws that govern electricity are going to be there tomorrow when you go there. Are you sustaining those laws through the night or is somebody else sustaining those laws through the night? When you tune in, you quickly realize Every single one of us is standing on a pile of grace. On my best days where I've worked my hardest, I am working with and on a bunch of things God already gave to me. And I manage them. And I'll never forget when this became real to me. Uh, probably one of the five most influential people in my life is this guy, Mike Osborne. There's his wife, Rita Osborne. If you're sitting in momentum and you call it your home right now, you're here because of them. The story goes that they were a part of this church uh, for 35 years. He was an elder and a leader in that church and they loved reading their Bibles and they got this big problem. 35 years into their time at that church, there was this big problem when they started reading the book of Acts because they said here in the book of Acts, we're watching people be baptized every day. My church isn't baptizing anybody. They said here in the book of Acts, the word of God is being lifted up and lives are being transformed in real time. We don't see that happening in this church. They said here in the book of Acts, broken, jacked up, messed up, hurting people come running to Jesus and transformed forever. He goes, that's not happening in this church. So next thing they do, like you do in that situation, is they stepped out of that church. He picks up the phone and he starts cold calling church planning organization saying, hello, my name is Mike Osborne. I live in Chula Vista, California, and I want to help start a church that's going to transform the world in Jesus' name. And they're like, what? He's like, you heard me. He cold calls five or 10 organizations, find one called Stadia, 
that says, we'd love to do this with you. They go, Mr. Osborne, uh, there's just one problem. It costs a lot of money to start a church. He goes, I know, I'll take care of it. See, the other detail about Mike is that he was a serial entrepreneur. So he made money by buying businesses that were struggling, rehabilitating them, and then selling them, either turning them into profitable companies or selling them for a profit themselves. And he did this over and over in his life. And so I think he, if I'm not mistaken, was about 61 at the time, is it 61-ish at the time. And he tells these people on the phone, guys, I don't know how many years I have left to live. And I wanna make the years I do have count. So if you find me somebody to plant a church, I'll take care of the financial responsibility associated with it. So they did, the guy was my brother-in-law, his name's Chris Hornbrook. He meets Mike, thunder, lightning, they plant a church. Mike writes a $500,000 check to start the church that we're a part of today. He did so because at about 61 years old, he purchased one more business called CNC Glass. It still exists in Chula Vista. He bought it for one purpose, to generate money he could give away to grow the kingdom of God. Before Mike passed, we came to him and we said, man, we've watched a church, we, there was nothing, now there's something, there's this beautiful church, we'd love to do this again, could you help us plant 10 more churches here in San Diego and, and overseas? And he said, absolutely, what do you need, boys? We said, it costs about a million bucks. He committed there before we even left the meeting. Right now, there are 10 other churches in San Diego County that this church and this man are directly responsible for starting. Church 180 is down the road celebrating their third birthday today. Rise City Church is up in Santee with about a thousand or so people sitting in the seats listening to the word of God be preached. There's Grace, Grace Church up in uh, the Mira Mesa area. There's plenty of others. There's one in San Luis Obispo that all flow right back to his generosity. Now, 2014, Mike develops an aggressive brain tumor and he's gone within about eight weeks. Just to give you another story about the quality of this character in this man, he knew his time was coming to an end. He had all kinds of relationships around town and he said, instead of a funeral at some funeral home, I want you to hold my memorial service right here in this gym and I want you guys to invite anybody I've ever done business with. So at least one time in their lives, they're gonna hear the word of God preached. And that's exactly what happened. June of 2014 was our largest worship service of that time. And it was because all of Mike's friends and all the different people he had impacted in his whole life came here for a worship service instead of a funeral service. And the part that was most impactful to me was our church offices were located at CNC Glass at the time. And he had this room over here and our team would gather over here. And I think he designed it that way so he could keep an eye on us and all this stuff the whole time. And that was just fine. And we would finish our staff meetings and I knock on his door, open it up. Hey, Mike, can I ask you some questions about money? 
I came from a blue-collar family. None of this stuff was being taught to me, you know, at the time, or not at least at this level. And he would sit there and he would answer all my questions about real estate and housing and mortgages and savings and debt and all this stuff. And the day that transformed me was one time, I was like, Mike, how, how did you do this? I'd never heard of a guy who buys businesses and flips them and plants a church out of nowhere and writes checks that I've never even imagined to give away to other people so they can know Jesus. I was like, how? How have you given like this? And he said two things. Number one, I just want to see God's kingdom grow. Because it's the only thing that truly matters in this world. And he said, Matt, number two, I've never given away a dime. I've only returned to God what he had first given me. That's where legacy comes from. That's a life that's impacting lives that impact lives that will impact lives. And it all came down to the fact that he was tuned into the idea that he was just a manager of what God had already given him. That's the first four things I'm going to teach my kids about money. Now, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But I'm going to tell you about the opportunity that we call Financial Peace University one last time. We're shutting down signups tonight at midnight. We watch people get out of debt, build a college savings for their kids. They learn about all these accounts and different things and ways that money grow. And it's all done through a godly and biblical perspective. If you need more of this, this is something you're hungry for. That is the best next step for you. You can sign up on our app. If you got questions, you can go talk to Ryan. He's right outside at the info center, ready to help you. My friends, we've got more of our help series next week. We're tackling anxiety and depression head on. Make sure you don't miss it. I love you guys. Let me pray and we'll be done.